Um, this is actually the first in-person interview we've done for the Thrillist Podcast in an entire year. Well, I'll drink to that. Glunk, 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 glunk. A couple weeks ago, after a vaccination and a negative COVID test, I did something that I've been talking about wanting to do for an entire year. I traveled across the country. And I did it to meet and drink with two guys who turned a love of travel and booze into their own premium tequila brand, Santo. We're one-take wonders. But you also do sound check. One, two, can you hear me or, or does it matter? Oh, also, I forgot to mention, these two dudes are Guy Fieri, the mayor of Flavortown, and Sammy Hagar, former lead singer of Van Halen and longtime tequila maker. And they really liked my blue headband. Well, rocking the great uh, blue headband, and I, I mean the Paisley blue headband. Well, what's cool about it is that you've been in lockdown for all this time, and you probably went retro and didn't even know it, and yeah. you busted out. So for the record, we did this interview outside, very socially distanced, so it was safe. Please ignore any weird noises you might hear. Oh, Sam, your chopper's here. Okay. My next interview. My next interview. But one thing definitely shined through. These two really are best friends. And also, for the record, we had just drank a ton of Reposado. Guy Fieri is what you see is what you get. He has the character that he appears to have. Sammy Hagar, Sammy is the rock star. Sammy's the rock star superhero. They actually became buds way before Guy was famous, back in the early aughts, when he owned a restaurant, and he jumped on a promotion Sammy was running for his Cabo Wabo tequila at the time. So I was, and still am, a, an Uber fan, and, uh, and I've said that Sammy always played the soundtrack to my, uh, to my life. The, the deal became, whoever sold the most tequila in Northern California was going to win this cherry red Sammy Hagar guitar. And I just told the sales rep, just bring me the guitar now, because I'm going to win this. <laughs> I cooked with it, we served it in the well. Serving premium tequila back then in the well was unheard of. There was only one tequila that was in the well, and that was the cheaper tequila. I mean, I did everything you could imagine. I took it home, I drank it. So anyhow, long story short, I won the guitar. Uh, I got the guitar, it was signed, and I went to see Sammy to show, and I have to show up, being Italian, I have to show up with something. Sure. So I brought sushi that I made at my restaurant, and I put it on the guitar and I walked it in and I'm like, man, this is the make it or break it moment. It was so badass. I was like, this guy's got balls, man. You know? <laughs> most people, they walk into your dressing room when you're, you know, when you're a rock star, I'll be honest with you. You know, they walk in a little intimidated, you know, very few people. Even other celebrities, you know, when they come see you backstage, it's your domain, you know, you're back there. Oh, like I wasn't intimidated. I can't believe the sushi didn't fall off. <laughs> Um, we've noticed at Thrillist, because we cover travel so much, that the road trip has really come back into fashion over the last year because of the pandemic. You know, Guy, I'll ask you first, is there a region in America that you would implore people to go to that you're like, this is underexplored, you should go there to visit? Um, Utah. Yeah. We just did Utah during the pandemic, the family and I, in the, in the RV, and we went to Zion, and we went up to a, an area, I think it's called Bryce Canyon. Yes. And mm -hmm. I got to tell you... I, you think you've seen it, okay? You think you see the postcard, and you're like, oh, look at that. That's interesting. There's a big hole in that gigantic rock. <laughs> it's, when you really, and this is what I say on Triple Delta, slow down and take a look around. Because not too far away from you, from what you think you know, there is a whole, there's an enormous, there's an amazing something going on. You can't ever capture it all at once. So, there, you, know, you don't, you're, you're exactly right. We live in the greatest country in the world. 
and we probably have more facets to our country than any country has. Totally. A very underrated area, and it's not because of any experience I had. Sure. Just I love, you know, Louisiana, New Orleans, that whole Gulf oh, Coast. Yeah. From there, yeah, all yeah. the way down, all the way down to Florida, that Florabama. There are some of the most beautiful beaches and the most beautiful white sand and warm, nice water. That's paradise down there. I mean, and the food, you know, when you get around New Orleans, just that kind of food culinary experience. For some reason, I'm always drawn to that. Liz is great. Your friendship is honestly inspiring. Um, can we be friends, the three of us? Yeah. Yeah. I saw the headband, and I'm like, that dude loves to have a good time, and he's got the right energy, and you got a big smile. And you know what? What you guys are doing, and I appreciate how you all feature things and recognize it because people are getting so much inspiration with what you publish and how you share, and we need that. And we've been through the most dark time that our probably will any any of us will ever see, and we need as much entertainment and good energy as we can get. So you coming out means a lot. Well, I definitely think we're friends now, right? All right, so since we started with a quick trip to try some tequila, we're going to roll with that theme and give you two more segments about traveling in pursuit of booze. We have Thrillist Senior Cities editor and one of the best beer writers in the entire country, Meredith Heil, coming on to talk about the best cities and towns in America for people looking to base their future road trips around craft beer. She has a ton of truly surprising and really fun picks in there. If you even kind of care about beer, you'll want to hear what she has to say. But first up, we have Diane Suyon Kong. She's written about nightlife in Seoul, South Korea, where she lives for Thrillist before. She's going to come on to talk about how a night out in Seoul is just completely unlike a night out anywhere else. And it's all because of the very regimented, very fun way they approach drinking. So on that note, let's get right to it. I'm Will Fulton, and this is Thrillist Explorers. This is Diane Suyon Kong. Hi, I'm Diane. She covers Korean drinking culture for Thrillist. Uh, I also have a blog where I post about food because I love eating and drinking. Um, and it's called A Korean Girl Eats because I'm a Korean girl that eats. I called her on Zoom on what was a Friday night for her in Seoul. I love how I'm doing like a podcast about going out. And I'm like, oh, it's Friday at home. <laughs> but yeah, okay. Wait, you're going to tell me when you start recording, right? Because I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> A night out in Seoul is pretty intense. The work culture in Korea is pretty like hardcore. So like after work, people love to really just like let go. It's very, very common for Koreans to stay out until 6 a.m., uh, even 8 a.m. And I've met a lot of people that stay out even until 10 a.m. There's a lot of different steps to a night out. When you're going out for a night in Korea, you basically have to prepare yourself for like five or six rounds in one night, as opposed to in New York, you could go out with a friend for like just like a drink or two and maybe bar hop at like one or two spots. But like, it's not like you have to really prepare yourself for like an intense night of drinking like you do in Korea. Ircha is round one, which is eating dinner with drinks. So if you ever go out and eat with Koreans, they will always order bottles of soju. On top of that, they make something called somek, a mixture of soju and mekju, mekju is beer. And they basically just do like a soju bomb. There's a lot of different types of drinking etiquettes when you're drinking with Koreans. And a lot of them have to do with respect. First is when you pour, 
you always should pour and receive the pour with two hands. Depending on your age, you should cheers lower if you're younger to show that you're giving authority to the older people. And then finally, like when you drink, you have to finish the whole shot. You actually take your sip and cover your mouth while you're drinking it because I guess it's disrespectful to show you drinking the alcohol. Icha is round two, which is getting some cocktails or drinking some wine at a wine bar. And basically, it kind of splits. So you can either go into like the down and dirty route, or you can go into like more high end route. And actually, like lately, there's been so many amazing cocktail bars and wine bars that have been opening up in Korea. That like five to ten years ago, it was mostly like the down and dirty pocha style route. There's a few like good clustered areas for cocktail bars in Korea. Gyeongbokgung is a really, really great area to get some cocktails. If you haven't been to Korea, it's basically like an area that has a lot of like traditional Korean spots. Even the design of, of a lot of these cocktail bars are in these like very traditional like Hanok style wooden and like vintage Korea style bars. But depending on the bar that you go to, they can charge you a cover charge just to like go in and drink, which is also not really a thing in New York, right? Unless you're going to like a club. Tamcha is round three, where you're going to a casual drinking establishment called a pocha. So pocha is basically like a very casual drinking establishment in Korea. Actually, the best place for a pocha-style drinking experience in Korea is a street called Nogari Alley, and that's a cultural heritage site, basically. Where they blocked off the roads to let people just sit on the streets and drink and eat, and especially in the summertime, it is just like the most fun and vibrant street. So if you're ever in Seoul, this is definitely like the street you need to visit. Here you'll find a drinking establishment called Manson Hof. This is a good place where you can start doing things like drinking games. So drinking games are a really, really big part of Korean drinking culture, and it's also a really good way to kind of like break the ice or bond with people that you don't know that well. I'm so sorry. Did you hear my cash? Can you hear her? No. You okay? Sorry. Okay. Yeah. So drinking games. One of my personal favorite drinking games is a game called Titanic, where you get a glass of beer. And you fill the beer like glass up maybe like halfway, and then you put a empty soju glass in the beer, so it's like floating like a boat. And then people go around pouring little bit of soju into the glass until it sinks down. And once it sinks down, the person that sinks the soju glass has to drink the entire beer with soju in like one shot. That person is gone. <laughs> It's like I, you do not want to be the person that sinks the boat because even just one glass of that, especially if you're not a strong drinker, like you will definitely be gone. Tacha is round four, where you go clubbing. 
because at this point you're amply like drunk and this is when you start wanting to go dancing. This would be maybe around like one or so, one or two in the morning. And it depends on like the night that you're looking for. But if you're looking for kind of like a hip hop vibe, then definitely Itaewon is the place to go. There's a lot of really great hip hop clubs there. Uh, one of the most popular ones there is called Cake Shop. And there's a lot of really great like local hip hop musicians that go there just to hang out and also just to DJ and perform and things like that. If you're in the mood for more EDM style, Gangnam is the place where a lot of people go. And there's a really famous club there called Octagon. Besides that, if you're in the mood for, uh, you know, like meeting people, like, uh, you know, hunting basically is what Koreans call it. There's actually bars specifically made for hunting and they're called hunting bars where you basically just go and meet people. Ocha is round five, and this is when you go norebang or karaoke. There's so many amazing norebang spots, like very, very like fancy and like ceiling to floor, like glass windows, beautifully like decorated. Um, you know, Koreans are so good at singing and they love showing off their voice. And I think it is because they go to Norebang so, so often. So yeah, these ceiling to floor windows also like are, are right, like showing the street. So it's like people that are singing in Norebangs also like to perform. And it's like, they're having almost like a live audience of, of like the crowded street because you can definitely see all the people singing in these rooms. Yukcha is round six. And this is the final round of the night where you eat hejangguk, which is hangover soup. So usually people stay out until this round, which is around like six in the morning because a lot of people don't want to spend money on cabs and subways open up at around 5.30 or six in the morning. But basically, hejangguk or hangover soup is really, really a key part of a night out because it saves you from a terrible next day. It's almost like a form of like how, you know, in America, people are like, drink water. In Korea, people are like, eat your hejangguk. <laughs> like, you don't want to be hungover, right? And hejangguk is actually just any kind of soup. So it can be anything from a sundegukbap like a blood sausage soup and rice to something like komtang, which is kind of like an oxtail or bone broth. But if you want to go to a really, really good one, um, it actually opens at like seven in the morning called a hakdongwan. And it's in Myeongdong, which is pretty central. So it's pretty easy to get to. They're actually a Michelin rated Hejangguk restaurant. So if, you, if you're feeling fancy and want some really high quality oxtail soup, you should definitely go there after a night out. I personally think it's 
most impactful for my friends that are really shy that like have a hard time in groups you know they have so much fun when they're in these types of settings because it's like we're all just like having fun and drinking a lot and you know alcohol definitely helps <laughs> and definitely going from place to place like as a group um, and experiencing like so many things in one night it's uh, an epic experience <laughs> I mean like I've definitely did a lot more of these nights when I was you know, in my early 20s. Um, but yeah, I look back on those nights like really fondly and think about like, yeah, how much fun it is. I, I wish I could still do these often, but you know, I'm, I, I just can't literally feel like I can't do it anymore. <laughs> So thank you to Diane for coming on. If you want to read some of her work for Thrillist, we have a link in our description. All right, we're going to take a quick break, but when we get back, beer stuff. Stick around. All right, Meredith, we're here to talk about something that I know is near and dear to your heart, craft beer. I mean, all beer is near and dear to my heart. I actually am not a big macro hater, as many people are, but uh, I understand it. But yeah, craft beer is definitely more interesting. Well, what was like the last beer you drank? Well, I'm drinking one right now, actually. I just got back from a little vacation road trip through Michigan, and I went to a ton of breweries. And one I went to that I really liked was called Guardian. And I picked up this Crowler there, so I cracked it in honor of our chat today. And it's called Sea Hag. It's a brown ale with sea salt. And I like it. It's like the sea salt really dries up any of the sweetness, and it's got really cool chocolate nutty notes on top. All right, so Michigan, for me at least, isn't necessarily the first state I think about when I think about craft beer. Am I wrong there? Yeah, I mean, you're definitely wrong historically. Um, because Michigan was one of the first states back when they legalized homebrewing in the late 70s, and they started figuring out how to open their own breweries. And by the time the first sort of wave of craft beer came around in 1988, Michigan was definitely already on the map. All right, I forgot about Bells and Founders, uh, so I just made myself look stupid, <laughs> which is fine. It's okay, you made me look smart. Meredith Heil is a senior cities editor at Thrillist, and she might know more about beer than anyone else I know. We asked her to come on the pod to talk about a handful of her favorite craft beer destinations across the country, cities, towns, and even entire states that have exemplary breweries you can base an entire vacation around. Per usual, she delivered. So I guess we can start off by actually talking about Michigan. Obviously up in Grand Rapids, you're gonna find Founders and Bells, which I also really appreciate, and then New Holland. Some of the smaller ones along the trail, so Mitten Brewing Company, their beer's pretty good, but they're also just really fun people, and it's like a baseball theme. And along that trail as well is Pete's Cider Social. It's a cidery, a cider tasting room in an old, like, 70s-style bowling alley that's active. You can actually go and bowl there. And they make their own cider, and, like, it's kind of cider for people who like beer. Um, beer Church is pretty cool. It's in Michigan City. It's in an actual church, so you can't really miss it. It's funny because Michigan City is quite a small town, and they kind of have an intersection um, right in the middle of downtown. And there's churches on almost every corner, but one of them is a brewery. The other ones are actual churches, so make sure you know where you're going. Okay, so we have Michigan. Uh, where else would you recommend traveling to for craft beer? All right, so 
Indiana. So there's two things that indicate there might be a cool beer scene. One is a college. Two is a post-industrial kind of setup that there are a lot of big warehouse buildings for relatively cheap. And Indianapolis has a lot of cool old warehouse buildings and they have a bunch of colleges nearby. So Bloomington is about 45 minutes away. They've always had really cool breweries. Um, that's where Indiana University is. And Upland was kind of like a game changer out there. They're really focused on sour beers and they have a whole project called The Wood Shop where they've cultured a lot of their own yeast and they do some really, really cool stuff. I love that spot. Function Brewing is also out in Bloomington and there's an old school brewery called Bloomington Brewing Company, which also makes pretty good pizza. And then in Indie proper, so Blackacre and Sun King are the ones that have been around for a long time and they're always doing consistently great stuff. And then Scarlet Lane is a pretty interesting one. It's helmed by someone named Elise Lane and she's kind of like the master of stouts. Indiana in general is super fun for driving around and visiting breweries. It's also so cheap. Like I'm talking like $2 for a pint in most places. So you can have a good time there. And you can go have a pork tenderloin sandwich if you're around. Exactly. Okay, so Michigan and Indiana. Those are two fairly surprising picks for me, I think, especially Indiana. Uh, What else? Where are some other places you recommend? All right, here's another surprising one. We're going to get out of the Midwest for a second. We're going to go to Greenville, South Carolina. So Greenville, South Carolina is a town that most people outside of South Carolina have never thought about. But it's a really cute little town. Um, it's got a couple of colleges and, and it also has a lot of like old warehousey buildings. So they got the two factors indicating this might be a good beer town. And it is one of the most exciting breweries in the country is there. It's called Birds Fly South. And they're pretty experimental. They're really, really brilliant group of guys. Um, they do a lot of sour stuff, a lot of cool uh, wood age stuff, and then a lot of really great fresh hop IPAs that everybody knows and loves. And they have a beautiful space out a little bit outside of town in the country, dog friendly and just like a cool spot to chill. They also have in Greenville, just outside of it, they have this thing called the Swamp Rabbit Trail. So it's a 22 mile path that you can ride your bike down, you can walk down, whatever. And there's all these different restaurants and bars and breweries like kind of along the way that you can check out. So Swamp Rabbit is one of the first breweries that came around in Greenville. And then along that way, uh, Southern Side Brewing Company is a newer addition. So that's like a really fun thing to do if it's nice outside. You know, rent a bike, cruise on down this trail for 22 miles and stop and get beers along the way and then pedal off those carbs, right? So Meredith, when you go to a craft brewery, let's say you're someone who doesn't really know that much about beer. How can people that don't know that much about beer really experience a brewery? Any craft brewery, everyone who works there is going to be stoked on beer in general, and especially stoked on the beer that they're serving you or making you. So I would definitely try to engage the bartender, the server. Um, A lot of breweries offer flights, depending on the state that you're in, the laws around that. So that's a really cool place to start. So you get like maybe four or five two to four ounce pours and you can just pick any beer you want of those pours and i also i i particularly like if you know a lot about beer i do like to judge in the same way that i kind of like to judge cocktail bars on their daiquiris daiquiri is like super simple three ingredient cocktail but it's all about balance and precision and if you don't get it right it ruins the whole drink and you can kind of tell if a cocktail bar knows what it's doing by how good of a daiquiri it serves so i feel the same way about a lager 
at a brewery. So lagers are super clean. They require a certain level of expertise and a, a certain level of patience and skill to make a really good one. That's interesting. So you're kind of using a lager as a control beer. Yeah, and you know, you don't find a lot of lagers at small breweries, that's, that, especially really new ones, because lagering takes longer. Uh, lager means to store in German, right? So it has to sit around a lot longer than ale does. So it requires a lot more time and space too, because you have to hold those tanks. So really, really brand new breweries probably not going to have a lager on tap. Other cities I, I thought of was Portland, Maine. I mean, that's kind of a gimme because obviously Portland, Maine has become much more of a mecca and everyone there is so into beer. It's like hard to go into any bar restaurant and not see just like a banger tap list. So Maine Beer Co. is kind of like one of the OGs in terms of modern craft beer in Maine. They're awesome. Allagash, obviously. I mean, it's everywhere, but you really can't go wrong. Whatever they do, if they're putting it out, you know that they stand behind it. And it's awesome because they're perfectionists. And to be perfectionists, working with wild yeast is nutty. But they somehow figured out how to do it. Um, Oxbow is another one that if you like sour beers, is really great to check out. They have a cool ship there, um, which is basically like a big open air fermenter, old school style Belgian, and they do some really interesting blends. Bunker is really cool too. They're kind of on the Bissell Brothers wavelength. Foundation is great as well. And then Austin Street Brewery opened up kind of recently across the street, I guess, from Allagash. I haven't been there yet because I'm in a Maine in a minute, but I hear really good things about what they're doing. Okay, so what else is on your list? So Richmond, Virginia, another southern pick. So Hardywood Park Craft Brewery is a good one. They've been around for a while, and they do some really great bigger uh, holiday beers. They have a gingerbread stout that's, like, fantastic and always rates super high. Blue Bee Cider is really cool. It's a startup that's kind of in downtown uh, Richmond, I think. But it's a cidery that they um, they do a lot of cool, like, hybrid stuff with uh, with honey, like some mead stuff and some hoppy stuff, but they're just like this cool cidery in this old barn. Ardent Craft Ales is a pretty hip player, good on the IPA front, and The Vale is obviously like probably their most prestigious craft brewery in Richmond. They do a lot of collabs with like really well-respected breweries around the country. And then one thing that you gotta check out if you're there, it's a place called The Answer. It's a nano brewery, it's tiny, and it was founded by this guy named An Bui. And he worked in a restaurant that his family owned called Mekong. It's a Vietnamese restaurant that's really popular in Richmond. It's like had it got in James Beer a couple of years ago. And he just decided that like he wanted to make his Vietnamese restaurant like a beer mecca. So he just started brewing beer that kind of complemented the different dishes that his family was serving. And he opened in 2014. It's got 56 taps now. And uh, there's two two different bars. So it's like huge. It's like this big brew pub basically and it has guest ales as well but he, the stuff he does is like totally out of the box things that you know you'd be like what kind of beer pairs best with pho okay great like this is amazing lemongrass golden ale or something like really cool stuff this is really really great stuff by the way i i kind of feel bad i feel like i feel like we should be paying you um i guess we kind of are <laughs> yeah of you are <laughs> all right can you give us one more one more city one more destination i wasn't planning on tooting my own horn but chicago it's pretty much every style because there's no real allegiance to West Coast IPA or New England IPA. Or, you know, you can do whatever you want here. There's a really cool place called Orkanoi. They are Scandinavian inspired and their beers are also influenced by Scandinavian flavors. So they have really food friendly, 
cool experimental stuff and they're always new, always different. Hopewell is another really cool brewery in Chicago. They do a lot of different stuff. They're famous for their little buddy, which is like a little uh, half pint can that's just adorable and crushable. And they also do a lot of cool stuff with the community. So they're a really good one to check out. Um, and there's a new place, it's I guess semi new, it opened last year called Casa Humilde Cerveceria. So I don't know if I butchered that, but it's H U M I L D E. And they're owned by these two Latino brothers who grew up in Chicago and they're doing a lot of like Mexican inspired beers and doing them really, really well. I was super impressed by, especially kind of just starting out, the, the amount of beer they had, the different styles they had and like the quality of it was really high. All right, I love your setup here because I feel like you could design a really great multi-state road trip all based around the cities you mentioned, starting in Chicago, going down through Indiana, east to Greenville, up through Portland, wrapping around through Michigan, back to Chicago. That would be fun. Yeah, that would be awesome. I'd need like a designated driver, though, or like two months to do it. (laughs) Right, or one very committed Lyft driver that would just stick with us. Oh, man. Yeah, that'd be quite a bill. All right, cool. Meredith, thank you so much. A lot of these picks were really surprising, and it's always interesting talking to you about this. You really know your shit, (laughs) and we appreciate that. All right, cool. See you guys. All right, if you want to read some of Meredith's words about beer and also other things, too, there's a link in our description to all of her Thrillist articles. Okay, we're going to take another quick break, but we'll be right back to wrap everything up. Stick around. Okay, that does it for us, but we really appreciate you all tuning in this week. And if you like what you hear, it would be most excellent of you to leave us a five-star review wherever you listen. It really helps the show. You know who else helps the show? All the great people who make it. Editors Peter Wagner and Jake Rasmussen, producer Mia Fask, Jim D'Amico, Megan Kirsch, Brett Kushner, Emily Feld, and from iHeartRadio, Mangesh Hadakudar. You made it to the very end of the episode, so you deserve a fun fact. We're actually going to have Diane talk about another Korean drinking game to send us off because it just it sounds like a lot of fun. Okay, another one. <laughs> this is a very Korean one. It's called nunchi game. Nunchi is a word that does not have a direct English translation, but it just means awareness. One person just like puts their finger on the table and everyone starts putting their finger on the table and the last person to catch on has to drink. (laughs) And it's just like a thing that like happens all throughout the night. So like you just have to be very aware of everyone. When you actually get caught, like and you have to drink, Koreans sing a song. You want me to sing it for you? But basically it's saying, drink, drink, alcohol's going in, alcohol's going in. That's like, that's basically the 